1996 is an absolute stinker. Hello and welcome back to episode 16 of the Double Reel Film Podcast. This is the second reel of our monthly magazine-style podcast for film nerds. Hopefully you've caught up with the first reel, had a brief intermission, and refueled, ready to take on this mighty second instalment of Nerdy Film Chat. If you haven't caught the first reel yet, please do go back to your app and download and listen to it, so you're up to date with all the features we've covered already this month. These include our roundup of news and spotlight on some of the films we watched this month, our classic and recommended feature on Walk the Line, our hidden gem Forgotten, the one that got away about Tony Scott's Potsdamer Platz, and our remake Hate Watch of The Hitcher. Now in Reel 2, we bring you our big conversation where we tackle a weighty topic and give it a fuller, i.e. longer, discussion. Joining me as always is my co-host, James Adamson. Welcome, James. Thank you for that introduction. Uh, happy to be back. Uh, firstly, I do apologise to the listeners and to you, James. My voice is not at its best today. I had a bit of a bad throat over the weekend, but uh, I think I should get through the, uh, through the day um, or through the session. Um, this month, the big conversation is looking at the best and most notable films that came out in our respective years of birth. The idea behind this discussion is similar to those traditions about seeing what the news headlines were the day you were born or what was number one song in the charts. Um, we've each had a look at the films that came out the year we were born, picked our favourites, uh, and we're going to see how connected we are to the films that came out that year um, and the, the, the general kind of era and, and tone of films. So, um, obviously... Our, our years of birth are some way apart. I thought chronologically we could start with uh, with me and my my list for 1973, way back in the day. So 1973 was an interesting year because I think, as we discussed on a couple of previous podcasts, the early 70s were when a, a certain sort of harder edge came into films. You know, you, you had sort of more grimy kind of urban thrillers and some of the, you know, censorship had, had really gone by the wayside. So we were starting to see a new... Uh, sort of, you know, range of films coming out, and for a lot of people, the seventies are seen as a uh, like a golden age. So, on the one hand, for me, there's a lot of things from the seventies that uh, you know I clearly had no relation to when I, you know, when, when I was actually there because I was just a toddler, and those films would mean nothing to me. But um, there's a lot of classic films from that era which did hang around, um, you know, like Scorsese and Coppola and people like that. So for 1973, and no, there's not really any particular order, but I will sort of pick out the, the first film is probably my favourite film of that year, which is Amacord. Uh, this is a Federico Fellini film. I don't know if you've seen it, mate. No, I know of Fellini, though, but I know um, Eight and a Half, obviously. not. Yeah, yeah. So Amacord is a film, the film he did, you know, obviously in 1973, and it's, it's a semi-autobiographical film where most likely the main character is someone who Fellini was a lifelong friend of. They grew up together in a little village in Italy. And there's a lot of uh, fictionalized uses of, of, of incidents and stuff that they, they went through growing up. And um, it features a small town during the fascist era of Italy. So Mussolini's in charge and the fascist party hangs over it. But the village itself is full of various eccentric characters. And as is usually the case with, with, with Fellini, each of his films has a certain tone, you know, like Eight and a Half has. And Amacord's got this kind of, it's got this slightly frenzied tone, like everyone seems to do sort of sex mad in it. And almost, you know, in a bit of a kind of going through like a dream or a nightmare because of everything that's going with fascism, everything, everything seemed really surreal. But there's some amazing scenes where everyone rows out on boats to see a cruise liner go past. There's a car race, car race that happens in the fog. And 
and, and various incidents full of like, you know, grotesque, but also beautiful, you know, characters and, and scenes that you get from Fellini. So that's definitely my, my favorite for the year. But in terms of other things that I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that year is Serpico, which was the uh, Al Pacino film based on the true story of Frank Serpico, a New York detective who he refused to uh, go on the take and you know be, be corrupt like a lot of the other police at the time. And as a result, he was ostracized. And when he decided to speak out about the corruption, he was actually shot um, by you know corrupt cops. But he survived to tell his story, and it's a it's a really you know it's it's a really seventies film. Al Pacino has the best beard in film history in it, looking very seventies at all times. And uh, it's it's a really gritty. It's one of those films that's very seventies, but it still stands the test of time. So that's very good as well. I don't know if you've seen Serpico either. I've seen Serpico. No, what's one I've not seen? Dog Day Afternoon. That's right. Dog Day Afternoon is a couple of years later. Same director, same star. Yeah, that's a that's a heist movie. That's I mean that's a brilliant film as well. That's absolutely classic. If if you like Spike Lee's Inside Man, um, the Dog Day Afternoon is a big influence on Inside Man. Um, yeah. Yeah. So other other things that came out that year was Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. I don't know if this is one you've seen either, mate. Yeah, uh, that's the one with uh, Bob Dylan. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah. What one do you think of Um. It was all right. It was it's very of its time though, but it's a great soundtrack. The soundtrack is amazing. I think the the interesting thing with this is that uh, it's it's one of those films by Sam Peckinpah, who we've discussed in the podcast before, and his um his films were frequently horribly compromised. Um, not only was he a bit of a fuck up, he would drink too much and get into trouble on set, but he was always falling out with his producers, and they tended to interfere with and and in various ways ruin his films uh, when he made them. And the 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 definitive version of Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid will probably never exist. And actually, um, it's, it's a future topic once I've got my head around it for a, a one that got away feature. Yeah. Because the, the true film of this has never quite been made. There is a much better version that uh, came out. It used to get shown on cable TV, and you can get that on DVD and Blu-ray now. It's really good. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I love this film. As you say, it is very of its time, and I think you'd have to be in the right mood for it. It's... Um, it's funny enough, it's more about Pat Garrett than it is about Billy the Kid. And I think it's more about the it's more about the legends of the Wild West than it is about what really happened. Uh, and in a way, Pat Garrett actually is reliving the legend rather than reliving what really happened when he goes after his old friend. He basically gets hired to kill Billy the Kid even even though he used to ride with him. Yeah. Um and there's some amazing there's some amazing shots. There's a bit where um Pat Garrett shoots a mirror. Um, and it's an ultimate act of self-loathing, and it's something that Sam Peckinpah used to do in real life. He'd go on these drinking binges and then catch a glimpse of himself in the mirror looking at an absolute mess, and he used to shoot the mirror. <laughs> um, he was a scary, scary guy. Um, so, yeah, that's Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Um, another one I uh, we've discussed in the podcast, so there's probably no need to go into it in a huge amount of detail now, is um, is Dillinger, um, the, the story of... Uh, uh, of, of John Dillinger, the 1930s uh, bank robber who became almost like a Robin Hood figure at the time. We did that as a hidden gem a few episodes ago. I, I think it's it probably doesn't show up on a lot of people's top 10 lists of, of this year just because it's... Um, uh, not very well known. Not very well known. I mean, it did okay at the time, but it's been, you know, as we said, it's been overshadowed by things like uh, uh, Bonnie and Clyde and stuff like that. But, I mean, I love it. Um, yeah. And... It was the start of, of John Milius, who was a big kind of um, maverick figure of, of the 70s. Because the 70s is seen as like this era of the auteur, you know, it was all about the director. And people are asking the question now, where are the auteurs? Where are the new directors with, with the vision? I mean, it seems like you've got 
a handful maybe. You know, you've got, you know, David Fincher, Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, Catherine Bigelow, and you're waiting to see who's going to come through out of this current crop of, of directors, whether it's Chloe Zhao or, or any of these other ones who are coming through to see if anyone's going to, you know, produce a body of work, right, where you can, where someone will look back and go, oh, yeah, they were one of the auteurs or one of, they were one of the directors of this era. Yeah. And John Milius, while he's... He himself didn't have the most kind of stellar directing career. He was hugely influential, and he really he's one of those directors who really made the 70s what it is. Um, so that's one of the reasons I really like that film. Um, and here's one. I mean, we, you know, we've got a little bit sort of um, film student already with some of these selections, but this is a film that that's on my list just because I've always loved it, loved it growing up, watched it when I was older, still love it. It's The Three Musketeers. I don't know if you've seen the 1973. Which version Three is Musketeers, this? James? This is Oliver Reed, Michael York, Richard Chamberlain, Faye Dunaway. Oh, I've not seen that one, no. This is, I think it's the absolute definitive Three Musketeers film because it's really swashbuckly, right? You know, it's got lots of classic sword fights and it's got the kind of breathless kind of excitement of one of those films. But because it's the 70s, they don't just do it like um, like an old-fashioned kind of, uh, you know, 1930s Errol Flynn film. They give it a little bit of extra grip. Um, it's really just a perfect combination. A lot of the... Um, a lot of the kind of sword fights and action is slightly comedic. It's not that they play it for laughs, but you know there'll be this great sword fight and someone then someone just gets kicked in the balls. Um, it's just perfect. It's beautifully done. Um, really, there is you know <clears throat> not only is there no better version of the of the film, there's no reason to ever do a Three Musketeers film ever again because that one just just nailed it. That one comes really really highly recommended. They did a sequel the following year called The Four Musketeers, which is very good as well. Um, that's one that used to get shown like pretty much every Sunday afternoon on a bank holiday. Um, not seen so often these days, though. That's uh, that's definitely one uh, one to look out for. Bit of a hidden gem. Yeah, I'm not sure how much you can call it a hidden gem because it was a massive hit at the time, but it does seem to have been forgotten a little bit now. Do you know what I mean? Forgotten gem, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, forgotten gem. There you go. All right, we've got enough features. We don't need a forgotten gem as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other ones that were on my list... Um, I think this is what I'm about to describe is probably the most famous um, film of the set of 1973 now, which is The Exorcist. Um, 1973, I, for some reason, yeah, it was, I it was closer to the end of the decade. No, 1973. No. I mean, I, I think it's a tribute to the way the film's made that it it really doesn't look that dated at all. I mean, I'm not surprised that it 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 looks newer than it is. To you, yeah. mate, do you know what I mean? I'm not necessarily the, the look of it. It just, I just had the impression it kind of came out like with aliens, not aliens, alien. Sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's not 1973. I mean, it was. Um, I mean, it was really shocking for the time. I mean, we, you know, when we did the French Connection a um, couple of episodes back, um, this is the same director. It was his follow up. So um, the French Connection was, as, as you as you rightly pointed out, and on the previous podcast, it was shockingly violent for the time. Although it looks quite tame now. I think yeah. The Exorcist has probably retained its power to shock, even though horror films have really come a long way since then. It's yeah. got an intensity. It's, I mean, you know, because I've been going back over like classic films, like classic John Carpenter films and stuff like that on the podcast. One of the things you really notice a lot with with more modern films now it's the sound and the editing. You know, even even a you know, even an action film that's like only a twelve or something, it seems to have an, an added punch these days. I mean, it gives up a bit, you know, in terms of sort of grit, grittiness and everything, but. Modern action and modern horror have a lot of punch because of the sound and the, um, you know, the way it just, it's, you know, you're in the, especially if you watch one of these films in the cinema, 
you must feel like your teeth are rattling because they really, really hammer the sound and, and give you sort of a lot of, they're looking for a real gut punch with the way they present it. And I think The Exorcist is one of those films that really, um, really pioneered that and preserves that. You know, it's one of those films like, um, you know, I showed Halloween to your sister and, and she went, oh, it's really good. The music's really creepy. She's like a horror film fan. Just, but not that scary by modern standards. But The Exorcist still holds up, even though I'm probably, I didn't find it as scary as a lot of people do, but it's 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 really kind of, um, it's very gripping, and some some of the action and, and some of the horror is like, oh fucking hell, that's really kind of powerful. And there was, it was one of those films that like members of the church were were picketing and campaigning to have the film banned before it even came out. <laughs> there were stories of preview screenings of people kind of fainting and throwing up and having to run out of the cinema. And and William Friedkin, the director, said, "Is we didn't even need to do any marketing after that. Do you know what I mean? Because everyone was going to go and see it once that got reported in the news." The church doesn't want you to watch it, and people ran out screaming from watching it. It's like everyone went, went to see it as a result. Then I'd spend a penny on ads. You know? <laughs> yeah, spot on. Yeah, so I think the first time I th- – th- this is another one that's sort of the history of history of film around it is that it was a massive hit in the 70s, and obviously films that are that big because there was no video back then used to get reissued, and horror films especially, people will like – you'll find a local cinema that does a horror night or something like a Friday night film marathon. So The Exorcist, one of those films that was kind of never off the cinema, yeah. Um, and then, and then when when home video came about, it was in the UK. It was one of the first films to be banned on video. Why? Why? Well, because the censors back then were really weird. They were worried that um, the first of all, when they first brought out home video, right, there was actually no um, no ratings for videos. There was no legal obligation to say whether a film was a U or a PG or restricted sale to children or anything like that. Right, because, you know, right. It's like a new thing comes out and the government takes a while to catch up to it. And then when the BBFC, the, the rating and censorship UK you know, body, caught up, they had this bee in their bonnet and they used to be really weird. I mean, these are the people that made Warship Down a U, right? Fuck and then, and, But wouldn't let you see nunchucks in a in a in a martial arts film. They they were they were weird back then anyway. But there was a whole range of what they called video nasties, things like I Spit on Your Grave, Cannibal Holocaust, um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was another one, and The Exorcist where they said, if people watch this on video at home, you'll you'll get obsessives just watching it over and over and it'll it'll make them Satanists or it'll make them murderers. So the Exorcist was banned on, on video. Right. Class. So when I, I I couldn't watch it growing up at all. When I came when I came to London to go to university for the first time, there was a cinema in central London that showed The Exorcist every Friday night, and uh, so I got to finally see The Exorcist for the first time. And I'm not sure it completely lived up to the hype because, in terms of Satanist kind of film, you know, films about the devil taken over, I found The Omen a lot scarier because in The Omen, a lot of passers-by are, you know, getting beheaded or attacked by, you know, evil crows and stuff. So it feels like no one's safe. And in The Exorcist, it's just one, you know, one kid is possessed. You know, it's not like it's not like the other characters were walking through the room and wondering if they were going to get killed any minute. So it wasn't as scary as maybe I was expecting it to be, but I thought it was brilliantly done. In fact, maybe the reason it didn't seem so scary is I had to get the night bus home afterwards. <laughs> and and nothing's as scary as, as the London night bus home. On a Friday night, um, uh, yeah, the Glasgow night bus. <laughs> I'll, I'll defer to you on that one. So yeah, the the Exorcist is, is definitely a classic. It's um, you know we talk about Mark Kermode a lot on this podcast. That's his favourite film. He was actually instrumental in it being allowed to be seen on video again, and a lot of the reforms of the BBFC because it's just like, look, the certificates are there for a reason. It was past eighteen to show in the cinema. Make it an eighteen and show it at home. It's not rocket science, um, but it was a bit of a cause celeb for a long time and. 
Some of it does come across a bit like Catholic propaganda, to be honest, if you ask me. And the book definitely felt that way. It was almost as if, you know, it, it totally sort of recommended that, you know, we're all, we're all going to hell because we're bad and it's, it's our fault the devil is possessing our children. Um, but the film is just so brilliantly done. I mean, he's, William Freakin's just such an amazing director that it was brilliantly, brilliantly done. Yeah. And I think it was an early example of, of a horror film being nominated for awards, which is still not that usual now, and it was unheard of back then. So, you know, the, the Exorcist is the Exorcist. Another one I um another one I've got on my list, and I think it's probably personal affection, really, when you think because 1973 is a good year, right? There's a lot of good films. Um, is The Wicker Man. Now we did the yeah. Wicker Man remake with Nicholas Christopher Lee one, yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you have you seen the original Wicker Man, yeah? Uh, the Christopher Lee one? Yeah. Yeah, I've not seen the one with Nicolas Cage. I've just seen oh, like, no. YouTube clips of it. Yeah, I mean, the YouTube clips of Nicolas Cage. I mean, oh, oftentimes, well, well. Oftentimes, you s- yeah. <laughs> oftentimes you see Nicolas Cage clips and you think, oh, the whole film can't be like that, can it? And, uh, and the Wicker Man, it really is. It's absolutely bonkers, but just ruins the original atmosphere of the film that, you know, we, we talked about it on the remake hate watch, but with, with the wicker man, the original one was in 1973, it was still sort of feasible that, uh, you know, uh, uh, especially a Scottish policeman who came from certain towns, places and, and, and religious background could be that character, this kind of virtuous, almost virginal, um, cop character who could be like sacrificed to the, to the, um, the pagans on the Island. And it was also just feasible enough to think that, yeah, in 1973, a remote island would be so remote that you wouldn't know what was going on and you'd have to fly a policeman over there, you know? Yeah. Um, so it just had this brilliant, brilliant atmosphere. And it's probably something like um, Ben Wheatley's Kill List or um, Midsommar is probably the more more of a, you know, successor to the Wicker Man of that kind of pagan pagan horror atmosphere. Um, uh yeah, but I mean, actually, The Wicker Man isn't full of horror elements until kind of the end, but it builds up this really creepy atmosphere. And what works is that the um, Edward Woodward, as the cop, he's, you know, he's, you've never seen a man so terrified of Brickland, you know? Because <laughs> he just doesn't think he can hold out to temptation and he's fighting. It's, it's a curious, curious film. That's another film that was cut to bits on release as well. Um, You've probably not got so many of those films on your 1966, uh, 1996 list, but The Wicker Man was another one. They did like a normal length film, and then someone said, hey, you know what we'll do? They still did second features, double bills back then, and they'd have a main film, and, a, and but a, another film before it. So they said, why don't, we, why don't we cut this down to like 80 minutes and just stick it on before another film just for the hell of it? And the guy directed is like, what do you fucking mean? I've, I'm, I made you like an hour and 40 minute film, not an hour and 20 minute film. This isn't going to make sense. So they absolutely butchered it on release. And then this is one of these films that kind of developed a cult following. And again, it's much harder to develop a cult following back then, right? Because it doesn't come, you know, Blade Runner came out on, 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 you know, video like a year after it failed at the box office. The Wicker Man didn't have that luxury. So this film, there's just something fascinating about it, which is why it survived as long as it did. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get you. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah, th- that's the Summer Isle one, isn't it? Yeah, the original one. There are definitely some places off the west coast of Scotland like that. Yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. That so fun fact, of- fun fact from the Wicker Man. There's a famous scene in there where um, Britt Eklund is in the same hotel as um, Edward Woodward, and it keeps cutting between Edward Woodward, kind of almost like gripping his sheets and trying to fight, you know, 
the you know corrupt corrupting temptation all around him, and then it cuts back to Britegland dancing nude in a hotel room, singing some creepy folk song. And Britegland wasn't keen on doing the nude scene, so they got her a body double, and yeah, she was okay. really annoyed by what happened because the body double had a much fatter ass than she did, <laughs> and that was her main complaint. Fuck's sake! Yeah, though no, that epic drive I did up to Loch Morrow the um, yeah the other week it was um, there's a lot of places I'm like there's a lot there could definitely be a lot of Wicker Man vibes going on here. It's, oh, uh, definitely, definitely, definitely strange that part of the world. Yeah. So another film, and this is another classic film that almost has its own mythology around it. Is uh, is Don't Look Now? I don't know if you've seen that one, mate. Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, I'll tell you a bit more about that. This is. Um, it's a strange one because it, it, it's one of those films that almost starts out like being one film and then gradually turns into another over the course of the film. But the way that that's handled is actually quite masterful. Nicholas Rogue, the director, who you know previously had worked as a cinematographer for David Lean, so he's a very skilled craftsman. And you start with what seems to be a, a very realistic scenario and it gradually turns into something really kind of you know weird and off the wall. It starts out with a British couple, um, or a, a couple who, who based in Britain, played by Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie. And right at the beginning of the film, is this might be a film where if I watched it again now, I would find the beginning more traumatic than the ending because you know I've got kids now. Um, you know, the last time I watched Don't Look Now is really, really so long ago um, that you know it was before even you were born, mate. Um, their daughter, who's maybe no more than like five, uh, is wearing a little red coat, and, and she falls into a pond near near their home and, and, and drowns okay. and you see the trauma of the uh, of, of the couple um prior to that you see almost like a um it's it's notorious or that you, you you wouldn't believe why it's notorious now a notorious sex scene between the two leads because it's so the way it's the way it's played is it's so normal it really does look like a husband and wife at home you know he's hanging his he's hanging his jacket up in the wardrobe and talking and chatting and they've got that kind of intimacy so then when they have one of those hollywood sex scenes it's all a bit it, the director does a really good job of making it feel like this is the real life of real people to the extent that it was believed for many years that Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie did it for real on the set. And there's there's a few films that have that reputation, but it's really just great illusioning by the uh, by the director. He just made it he just made you believe that these people were a real married couple and that really was their daughter. So then when the daughter drowns in the pond, it's really shocking and their trauma is is blown, you know, um, you know, really quite it's quite a gut punch of of uh, at the start there. And then you see that later where they, they've basically decided to go traveling or go on holiday to Venice to just, you know, sometime after the, the child's death to try and, and get over it. And what happens is that they meet these two women who seem to be a bit creepy and obsessed with the occult. Um, he walks around this church late at night and he gets these really creepy vibes. Um, the wife, Julie Christie, keeps seeing these flash forwards to herself on a boat looking, you know, in, in mourning. And there's a watchy, this person watching the film going, did they go on a boat to, um, you know, is this happening now? Is this happening in the future? It's really disorienting. And Donald Sutherland keeps seeing this glimpse of his, of what looks like his daughter, like the little girl in the red coat, disappearing in these like, alleyways and byways of Venice. And it gets creepier and creepier from there, and I obviously don't want to spoil the ending. But it's... Um, yeah, it's an absolutely masterful film. It's doesn't. It's one of those films that gets mentioned on like best of lists, but doesn't get shown very often. Doesn't get shown on TV all that much. Um, 
it is an absolute classic though that really is worth watching and it's a um it's just a really it's just a really disorienting kind of off-putting film even when someone's just walking down the street you've got this kind of creepy feeling or you know up and down your spine that something's not quite right and two hours of that by the end of it it's pretty exhausting you know yeah um, another one on the list is is Mean Streets. This is where um, essentially uh, Scorsese started doing Scorsese films as we know them. He'd done a couple of films prior to this, but this was his this was the debut of the of the kind of New York sort of gangster oriented film that he did. And have you ever seen it? Uh, no, I've not seen Mean Streets. No. Yeah, so it's it's much more low key than other stuff that he's done. I mean, it does it's not as shocking as as Taxi Driver. It doesn't have the big epic sweep of something like Goodfellas, but it's kind of about low-level gangsters sort of in New York. Um, Robert De Niro plays one of the main characters, Harvey Keitel the other, and Robert De Niro plays the a real kind of mental, real, you know, clearly quite mad, clearly quite dangerous um, gangster, and they get into that, uh, just get into that world. Definitely worth a watch, although I think there are other, I think even though this is one of the better films of that year, I think Scorsese got better from here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He really honed his technique. You watch something like Goodfellas and some of the, the the camera work and everything that he does is just absolutely spot on. But you still get little glimpses of what um, uh, of what you're going to see in the future with uh, um, with Scorsese like, like the music on the soundtrack and stuff like that. Funnily enough, Robert De Niro got this part because he auditioned the previous year for The Godfather to play Sonny, James Caan's character. Right, okay. And they decided that James Caan was a better fit for that character but he actually got two parts on the strength of that. One, when they came back for The Godfather Part Two, Coppola thought it would be perfect to play the young Vito, but he also got the part in Mean Streets because of this, because Coppola basically phoned Scorsese and said, I think he might have known I think he might have known Scorsese already, but basically Scorsese saw this audition and went, oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> um, got, got to have him in my next film. And I, th- I think I'm near the end of my top ten. The last one I've got in here we sort of discussed last, uh, last week is uh, Enter the Dragon, the Bruce Lee film. Oh yeah, because I, I, have you seen Enter the Dragon? No, you, you haven't. Not seen. really watched much Bruce Lee. I don't really like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you might like this one a little bit better because there's no dubbing. It's all done in the English language, and it's kind of like a Bond film with with Bruce Lee doing martial arts. So it's it's less of the kind of cheesy early seventies like kung fu. But even so, I think this is definitely one for me in my era because I rewatched it maybe a couple of years ago, and there's there's some stuff in there that. Comes across as very cheesy now, but the fight scenes, the Bruce Lee fight scenes, are absolutely stunning. That the the final fight is a is a is a, it's a, it's a fight in a hall of mirrors. Um, so you've got like Bruce Lee turns and he sees the bad guy there and he throws a punch and it the glass shatters because it's actually a mirror and not not the guy. And um, there's lots of lots of good fun in there, and it's obviously a, a seminal film. It's this is one of those films that um, yeah, any anyone my age watched, you know. So that that's my top ten. I mean, it's funny when, when I was looking up this list of, of of top films. You know, if you look at what the best picture nominees were and and uh, uh, what people's top tens of the year were, a lot of them are not what are remembered now as the best films. I mean, that's quite common anyway. Uh, and I think it's because for me, the films that I watched are the films that people were still watching like a decade later, which is why these are the ones that came up. There are a few others that I. You know, haven't mentioned that I could have done Day of the Jackal because we talked about that on the podcast. Uh, Badlands was a road movie with Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek, huge influence on Tarantino. Uh, he nicked the music from Badlands for, uh, for True Romance, or him and Tony Scott did anyway. 
Um, Westworld was obviously, people remember Westworld now because it was made into a TV show, but that started out as a film back then. Yep. Um, American Graffiti was George Lucas's first hit about kind of drag racing teenagers in the 50s. Um, Soylent Green, we've mentioned um, when we talked about future visions in New York. Um, High Plains Drifter is when um, Clint Eastwood started directing more of his own films and his, his own westerns. Um, that's another good one. And Papillon was a big hit back then. That's another good film with Steve McQueen. Um, and The Sting, which which isn't in my top ten because I think it's a little bit overrated, but it is a you know it is a classic of the era. Um, so those are like the near misses. But you know my top ten reads like this. I'll just I'll just read it quickly again. Serpico, Amacord, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, Three Musketeers, Dillinger, uh, The Exorcist, The Wicker Man, Don't Look Now, Mean Streets, and Enter the Dragon. So there's my ten for you. Very good. There's a nice, there's a nice mix in there, but they are all very good films. It's interesting. I mean, asking you how many films you've seen from 1973 is like asking me how many films I've seen from 19, like 49 or 50. Yeah. Um, there, there will obviously be a smaller number filtering through. I imagine I'll have seen every film from 1996 that you talk about. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, although 1996 was a very bad year for films is what I discovered doing this. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what your, what your favourites are. I mean, overall, I mean, do you find yourself, do you have a, 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 any films from from that year that you, that you go back to, that you own, that, you, that you've watched more than once, that you'd probably watch again or anything like that? What, from 1996, sorry, or 1973? Yeah. No. 1996. Uh, there's only one that I'd probably watch again and again and again, which we'll yeah. get on to. Um, sure. What, what, maybe, what two, you may, your... maybe two, three. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why don't I let you, uh, why don't I let you do your list and see, and see how that comes so out? So what I did was I just went to IMDb's films released between the 1st of January 1996 and the 31st of December 1996 and just... Tried to go through all the ones that I'd seen because I've not actually seen a lot of these, mainly because I know that they're going to be shite. Like, because when films that have come out in your year have come out in your year, you don't probably get to watch them till you're maybe a bit older, depending on their age yeah. rating. There's that distance, isn't there? So, uh, what I did was I organized this list into number of votes on IMDb by the amount of people that have seen it. And weirdly enough, the top list, the top of this list, when I've put the filters in that way and sorted it that way, is probably my favorite film from this year. And that would be Train Spotting. Mm-hmm. Very good film. Not biased because it's set in Scotland, because it shows Scotland at its absolute worst. No, I mean it's my favourite film of this year as well. It's an absolute. Um, I mean, although I'm half Scotch, but it's an absolute belter. It's 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 just a great film. It's um, just very well done. It's you know I think it's Danny Boyle at his best, doing what he does best. It's mm-hmm. um, it's not trying to be fancy or anything with fancy shots. It's just telling a story about these eccentric drug addicts basically and it's um, yeah it's funny there's a lot of technique in it isn't there but actually it's only it's not there to the technique isn't there to show off the technique is be, there is because if you just you it, this could be really grim grinding subject matter couldn't it but it's that it, it just needs he tells the story with enough pace to kind of get you through it doesn't he yeah um second is also the se- second on the way i've sorted this is also the second my second favorite film this year and that's fargo yeah, that's another a good, good film. film. So it's, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't say it's my favorite uh, Coen Brothers film. Um, it is very good though. It's, um, it's just, it's just great. It's uh, the Coen Brothers at their best. Um, and there's a few films as I've organized. I've never seen Independence Day. I doubt it would make my top ten though, because I, I doubt it would. 
I've never, I've not, I've not actually seen the Mission First Mission Impossible film the whole way through, um, but those films have got much better as they've got along, uh, gone along. Sorry. Um, then there's. See, um, I mean, I, I really like the first Mission Impossible film, but I mean, I've, I obviously remember seeing it at the time, and at the time, all that technology was current. You know, yeah. it was quite, it was quite fun to see um, a film that was shot in Liverpool Street, where I, where I used to, you know, go through to to get to work. And stuff like that, but you look at it now and you think, "Oh, look at the state of that laptop." <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, other than that, there's, there's surprisingly, it was actually hard to make a top ten list of films that I'd seen from yeah. 1996 that I actually like and would put in a top ten list. Um, because mm. I've I've seen Happy Gilmore, but Happy Gilmore is a piece of shit. I hated Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet because I'm not the biggest fan of Shakespeare and not the biggest fan of Baz Luhrmann. So when you put those two things together, it's <laughs> it's a recipe for a school shooting. Um, yeah, f- funny enough, I fell out with Baz Luhrmann after this one. I liked Romeo and Juliet, but where he lost me was Moulin Rouge. I mean, he, he, I can't believe he was allowed to make another film after Australia. <laughs> whether you like Romeo and Juliet or whether you like Moulin Rouge, you dislike either of those films. We can all agree that Australia was a piece of fucking hot colonial oh, shit. God help us. Um, that would be that when you think that they have a, an Australian director with Australian actors making a film called Australia. They obviously cared and wanted to make that like a big statement film, but are they just they just failed. You could have, you could have so told Baz Luhrmann that. Yeah. Um, Excuse me, uh, Space Jam. That would, I've, not, I've not put this list in after one and two. I've not really put it in any order because yeah. transporting and Fargo miles ahead. But Space Jam, absolutely love Space Jam. Bit of a cult classic. I think anyone who was born in the nineties absolutely adores this film. Uh, I'm not looking forward to seeing the second one or the follow up one because they made Lola Bunny, Lola Bunny, um, not attractive anymore. Um, have you seen that big controversy? I haven't seen that particular controversy. But, oh, I'm joking. You know, I mean, I'm not sexually attracted to a bunny, but my, my mate was <laughs> saying, you saw this thing online, he was raging that Lola Bunny was really, you know, promiscuous in the first one. They made it really plain for the second one. And <laughs> a load of 30-somethings and are fucking furious. Uh, the fanboys have got to get angry about something. Because Lola, Lola Bunny uh, Lola Bunny isn't um, isn't attractive anymore. Uh, then after Space Jam, fuck, there's so many bad films from 1996. So many bad films. The Cable Guy. So after that, I put um, Matilda. I've just put a little kind of mm-hmm. star next to each one. Um, yeah. So Matilda, really like Matilda. Um, I think it's one of the first films that my grandparents showed me, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a really good adaptation of uh, Roald Dahl, book, which is mm-hmm. something that they managed to not be very good at these days. I've not liked the... Uh, I didn't like James and the Giant Peach, and I didn't like the um, oh fuck it was the the latest Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, and the the first uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory isn't actually that good, barring Gene Wilder, um, would be mm. my assumption of that film. But yeah, Matilda would be next. I think that's me at four now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I I was struggling. I was really struggling to make films that I enjoyed. I've put, I've also marked down the terrible films from this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got Jack, the uh, Robin Williams film. Oh, that's a terrible, terrible film. By Francis Ford Coppola. Um, I put The Rock by Michael Bay as one of my other films that I enjoyed. Yeah, again, there were there were a few people did films this year where if you if I would probably have been surprised by how much I hate the later films of Michael Bay, having watched The Rock. Mm. I, I, funny enough, I went to see that at the cinema with, with your grandma, 
All right, Jesus. Just her. I mean, she was down. I think it was either because you were on the way or you'd already arrived and, and she was just down to, you know, see her spend time with us. Uh, and I said, I fancy going to see that film, The Rock. And she was, you know, she fancied coming along. Um, so, so off we went to this really terrible cinema, um, uh, the Turnpike Lane Coronet. It's been knocked down now. <laughs> but it's one of those films where you actually had to, one of those places where you had to kind of move three times to find two seats next to each other that were actually acceptable to sit in. Um, but yeah, the, the Rock was a lot of fun. I thought it was. I think with I think with the Rock, uh, it was Jerry Bruckheimer was more in control than Michael Bay was. So there was just yeah. enough discipline on the kind of you know wild action, and you know getting my film anorak here. Um, Sean Connery insisted on a rewrite of the script before he'd before he'd work on it. Right? Was it a big rewrite or just the? It was like a script doctoring rewrite. It just to say, look, I see what you're trying to do, but this isn't going to work unless you a get the tone right and b kind of adjust. So it's one of those script, you know, it's one of those script doctoring ones where the writers don't actually get credit for it, but they're the reason it works. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There was some stuff like you know where the guys who wrote it are the guy they're called Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet. They started out as sitcom writers in uh, in, in England. They did the Likely Lads, and uh, I think they did halfway to Saint Pet. Okay, and uh, he, he did. He, he'd done a couple of things with them, and he kind of, if he saw a film that was worth doing, but the script was shite, he would always say a condition of him signing on was be that they would do a rewrite. Mm-hmm. And they're the reason that there's that, that bit, you know, where he where Sean Connery escapes at the beginning, and you know, while he's getting his hair cut, and he kicks everyone's ass and jumps out and and gets dragged in the elevator, and the hairdresser's been dragged along with him in the uh, in the in the in the lift, and is shitting himself because bullets are flying everywhere. That's not what he's used to. And he just turns to him and says, look, I don't know who you are and I don't know what you've done. I just want to know, do you like your haircut? <laughs> and and it, most of those kind of lines that just had a bit of like, uh, you know, life to it, they they came from because Sean Connery insisted on a rewrite of the script. Mm, okay. Um, after The Rock, I put The English Patient, which is a um, good film. It's a bit soppy, but... Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched it in years. I, over time, I've come to kind of... Because it was so overrated and because it won all the Oscars and all of that, I've kind of I'm probably more down on it now than I was at the time. I do think it's overrated. I don't think it's one of the best films of the year, but it's weird. I do remember quite enjoying it when I watched it and my memories of it have got worse as time's gone on. Do you know what I mean? Which might be a bit harsh on my part. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um What did I put what did I put after? How many have I, how many have I got to now? Is that me at six? Is this for seven? Are you counting Mission Impossible as one of your ten? No. I think you're on. That was might have been five, unless I've missed Fargo, one. Fargo, Train Spotting, um, Space Jam, English Patient. Oh, Space Jam. Yeah, sorry, Space Jam. So yeah, you've done six. Uh, so after that, I would put Jerry Maguire. Very good. So is that for seven? I think you're on seven now. And then, to be honest. Looking at this list, I don't really like them. I've seen them, but I don't really like these films. I don't like The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I've, oh, I've the, never, the been Star, never been a Star Trek fan. Um, there's some films that have got, you know, that are quite popular, but I've just never seen them. Um, so I can't put them on there. So, yeah, I was I was really struggling. So, to be honest, it would have to be a toss-up between films that I don't particularly hate, um, but I have seen. So it would probably be a toss-up for the final three between, um, uh, annoyingly, 101 Dalmatians, which is 
Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Scream, which is... It, I don't particularly hate Scream. It's not too bad, but it started off that sort of era, which we, we're kind of still in now, where they just make endless, 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 endless sequels to um, horror movies and Scream. Well, yeah, funnily enough, Scream was meant to be satirizing that. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bit in Scream 2 where they where they talk about sequels and how they're never as good as the original. Yeah. There's a lot of fourth wall breaking in all those films. It's one of those things that I think I mark Scream a bit like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels from the same era, that everyone loved it at the time and then everyone copied it at the time. And it meant everyone got really tired of that style really fast, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's there's a couple of films that I've just I'll hold my hands up and not seen, like Shine with Jeffrey Rush came out that year, mm-hmm. which is meant to be very good, and I've just not seen it. It's still. it's only as good as his performance, but his performance is really good. It's one of those films. It's all about the, the brilliance of the central actor, something like Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler or Natalie Portman in um, Black Swan, you know? Yeah. So that would be my list. I mean, as long as Trainspotting's on there, there's not really much, much to argue about. But yeah, 1996 was not a good year for films. That's yeah, funny. I mean, I, I've got some films I like from that year. I mean, clearly, if you haven't seen them, you can't. You know, it, they're not going to. You know, they're not going to make the impression on you. They would. But David Cronenberg's Crash came out this year, um, which is a tough watch. I mean, I could recommend that to you, and you could you could end up hating it more than any other film you've ever seen. Not because it's not good, but because it's so it's quite horrific. Yeah. I mean, I love Mission Impossible. Um, it's just not secret- the later ones. That's the problem. It came out in 1996, but by that by the time I'm watching those kind of films. I'm watching Mission Impossible 3, and Mission Impossible 3 is much better than the first Mission Impossible. Yeah, I, I, I see exactly where you're coming from, because, you know, it's like, I think we've done this before, you know, when, you know, when uh, when James Bond has a car chase in Doctor No or, or Thunderball, they're all getting really excited that they're doing 120 miles an hour. Whereas, um, you know, Vin Diesel is 120 miles, miles an hour going to Tesco for his bread, you know? <laughs> Um, other, other stuff that came out this year Secrets and Lies the Mike Lee film that was brilliant um, From Dust Till Dawn I've got a soft spot from From Dust Till Dawn but it's basically it's actually two films I like that shouldn't have been stuck together like that okay um, I mean have you, you, you never seen From Dust Till Dawn no that, that, if it was Good enough, it probably would have been on my list, but it's it's yeah, it's the it's it's one of the other Tarantino films that wasn't directed by Tarantino. It was written by Tarantino and directed by Robert Rodriguez. Oh yes, I remember even talking about this on the podcast with Joe Rogan because uh, yeah. I listened to that recently, um, and he spoke about it from Dust Till Dawn. But I yeah, know. I mean, what I would say about From Dust Till Dawn is that if he'd done Kill Bill in a similar fashion, I'd probably like Kill Bill a lot more. Yeah, because he he. He basically said, look, I like all of these trashy vampire and, and I, I love, you know, these films about kind of Mexico being a bit of a, a you know, like Wild West when you go down there. Um, so I'm going to make a film like that, but it won't cost a lot of money and it won't take long to make and it will be a lot of fun and it will be done. Whereas he spent seven years making Kill Bill and it made me want to kill myself. Um, <laughs> there's, there's good things in Kill Bill as well, but you just think, God, you've spent eight years of your career on this if you count the second one coming out a year later. Madness. Um a Robert Orton film came out in 96 called Kansas City, which is very good. I don't know if you've seen Well, obviously, it would be on the list if you'd seen it. No. Um, Lone Star is another good film that came out then. That's another film I, I haven't watched since I first watched it. I loved it back then. It's like an independent film about um, a sheriff of a small town in Texas where a lot of kind of family secrets come back to haunt everyone. That was a really good film. It's probably a film you have to be in the mood for. It's quite low-key. Um, 
you mentioned Star Trek that you're not a Star Trek fan, but I thought, I mean, I'm not a Trekkie, but I mean, I, you know, I like a good Star Trek film if it's good. And I thought Star Trek First Contact was very good. Um, what else came out there? People versus Larry Flint, which was interesting. That might not have aged very well thinking about it. I've not seen it in years. Swingers with um, Vince Vaughn. That's what the film that made Vince Vaughn a star, him and John Favreau. Um, I was I was pleased to see that Mars Attacks didn't make it on your list because I hate Mars Attacks. What's Mars Attacks? It's a Tim Burton film where the aliens invade um, the Earth, but it's everyone's really kooky. What, you mean you're surprised that I didn't pick it? Yeah. Why? I've never seen it. No, no, no. I'm glad you didn't pick it. Oh, no. Um, I'm, I'm glad you didn't pick it because I, <laughs> I hate it. It's one of those films that just really put my back up from the first minute, and by the end of it, I just sort of only watch it because I paid to watch it, right? Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not a big Tim Burton fan. Um, yeah, Kenneth Branagh's version of Hamlet came out, the definitive version of Hamlet, where it's the whole the whole film. Ugh. Again, you're not a Shakespeare fan, so you probably wouldn't Ugh. have sat. You know, you wouldn't have sat through an even longer version. Um, when we were kings, the Muhammad Ali documentary came out. You might not have been counting documentaries on your no, on your I didn't list. that as a film. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, a very good French film called A Self-Made Hero with Matthew Kasovitz came out this year. Um, Bound came out. That was back when the Wachowskis were still good. That was like a film noir, a lesbian film noir. Instead of a woman seducing a man to murder her husband, she, she seduces a woman to murder her husband. Um, but it's the Wachowskis actually in really good form. And um, Michael Collins came out this year, which didn't wasn't the hit people expected it to be. I mean, it's about... It's about the IRA in Ireland, and I'm not, I'm not sure everyone wants to watch a, a film about that. But, yeah, Michael Collins is really good with Liam Neeson in the main role. It's another good film. The thing is, I, I obviously, because I was around at the time, I am, um, you know, I you know, you know, you were born towards the end of that year, so I was, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I went to see a lot of films in the first two years after you were born, but in the year leading up to you being born, I did, I did go out and see a few. So this is an era I remember. I mean, I agree with you. I don't think it's a vintage year for film. Yeah, well, it won't be remembered for that. Yeah. There is one film to mention, which it doesn't make my top 10 list. It's Mr. Holland's Opus. It's one of these films that was, it was it was made as Oscar bait. It got Richard Dreyfuss an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor, but he was never going to win. Um, it's about a teacher who aspires to be a, a classical composer, and, and it doesn't work out for him in that way. But he gets reminded by the end of the film that all the kids he's taught music to um, you know, that was a, a life well lived. Do you know what I mean? Sentimental hogwash, but it does have a, a a scene in it. I haven't watched this film since, but it does have a scene in it that um, where he sings Beautiful Boy to his son. The context of it happening in the film is that his son's deaf and he, he struggles with that because how can he relate to someone who can't hear music, you know? Um, but, you know, he reconciles with his son and at uh, this performance he... Um, he does sign language of the words and he sings Beautiful Boy to his son. You'd just been born and I was sort of holding you in my arms when I watched that. And obviously I had a big emotional response to it. So okay. I have very fond memories of that film, even though I can't pretend it's a very good film, if you see what I mean. Right. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> so, yeah, so there was no, I think there was no need to go into much more detail than that in the films themselves. I think... We're agreeing that the the seven nineteen seventy three was a, a you know a good year. There weren't you know when I looked for the list of bad films, there weren't that many, and I think that's because the bad ones have been lost through the mist of time. There was a very poor Robin Hood film, like a Disney animation of Robin Hood that came out. There's a film called Lost Horizon that came out, which was a, a terrible flop. 
but I think I think we I think we're very nostalgic about seventies films now. We look back on it as an era when you know films could get made then that, that don't seem to be able to get made now. So I'm not surprised there are a lot of classics in in the era that I looked in, and and I think on well probably not unfortunately for you mate because you you weren't watching films back then. So what do you care? But I remember 1996 being, yeah, I mean, great, great films were a bit thin on the ground then. Um, yeah. I mean, the, I, mean I think the 90s is a better era for film than it gets credit for. I think the reason people have poor memories about 90s films is that a lot of the best ones never got the recognition they deserved at the time. Like yeah. Goodfellas not winning Best Picture and Saving Private Ryan not not winning Best Picture, you know? Yeah. Things and like True Romance not being a big out. hit when it came out. Toy so, Story 2, Toy Story 1, things like that. Yeah, yeah. It was a start. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there were there were there were, some things happened in the nineties which were the start of some good things. Um, but I think that the the, the, the mid nineties themselves were a bit of a like I say. I mean, when Tarantino did Pulp Fiction, um, and Usual Suspects came out, and long after that, it did seem like a really exciting time for film. Um, but I think perhaps in the end, the rest of the nineties sort of pissed a lot of that potential away. That's our uh, review of the the films of the years we were born. Um, you know, it might be one to file up there with the you know the, the newspaper from the, from the, the year you were born or what was the number one single mm-hmm. the year you were born. Um, please feel free to get in touch on the socials. Um, Double Real Podcast on Instagram, Double Real Film Podcast on Facebook, or find us on uh, Film Anarch seventy three on Twitter. And with your own list of uh, films from your era and and uh, what they mean to you. But for now, that was what we were going to discuss about the films of the year. However, we did have an idea for a, another uh, feature to just tack on to the end of this one, which we thought would be quite entertaining because we, um, I think where it came from, James, was that we were talking about how the, the 90s was a weird era because for every good film, there was a terrible film. And we were almost playing, you were mentioning, you know, we would mention a good film and then mention a bad film and it almost turned into a game of tennis. Yeah. And we thought we could have like a, almost like a competition between eras now and actually have a game of somewhere between tennis and top trumps to see which uh, which era wins out. But it's going to be good. It's, it's a game of good film tennis. We're kind of inventing a, a panel game or a parlor game on the fly here, so we might not get it right first time, but if it does work out, then Radio 4, if you're listening, call me. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you can't, you, can't, uh, you can't have the unbelievable truth in just a minute, 52 weeks a year. If you've got room for another one, then, then call us. I should probably do that at the end when we see how this has gone, right, James? Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so what we've decided to do is that we've got a, you know, uh, we've been allocated a, a, an era each, um, and I've got, you know, I've got to name good films from the eighties and nineties because they're the kind of the, the decade after I was born, and then the and then the decade after that. And James has got the two thousands and the twenty tens. I don't know if you've got any twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one films. Feel free to chuck them in if you want. Um, but um, I mean, the only films that I've seen that have come out in the past year, year or two, are Tenet, which was shit, and the new Suicide Squad film, which is very good. I really enjoyed it. I actually loved it, but um, that's a bit early to call it one of the best films of the century. Fair enough. Yeah, if you, want, if you want to stick with the two decades you've been given, and it's probably only fair that we didn't it didn't allocate me the seventies because that would give me like an unfair, you know, that there's a lot of films that are like stone cold classics from that era. Um, I do have the eighties and some classic eighties films to call upon, but 
just as easily. You know, the 80s and 90s are both films that have some good and bad in them. So hopefully it's a relatively even contest with the films that we're going to do. So we're kind of making this up as we go along. We'll try it on a basis of tennis scoring and see how it goes. But I mean, do you want to, do you want to serve first, mate, and see how, see how it goes? Hang on, should we set some ground rules? Yeah, let's do it. Because we should, we, so what, what are the rules of how you win? So, so the, 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 the rules that I, I thought we could play to was whoever, whoever is, you know, if we take it in, in, in a tennis game format, each game starts with one person who's going to serve, i.e. say the film first. So you have the advantage of saying the first, you know, saying the first film and you can pick your best ones to try and make sure you win. Right, okay. Um, so you're serving if, if, if you're the one who starts in a game. Um, and you say the name of a film that you believe is a, an absolute classic and, you know, hopefully nothing can be, you know, thought of that's better than that. The other person comes up with a film that um, to says a film name that comes back to it. Now, if whichever film is clearly better than the other, that person wins the point. So if you serve up film A, I serve up film B, and we agree that film A is better, you get the points, 15 love to you, right? Okay. If, um, if it's... Um, Perhaps not straightforward. Actually, I, I, it's hard to choose who's the best one out of that. You know, we can't quite agree that one film is definitely better than the other. Then you know, the, the, you've got to you've got to basically play another shot, right? So if I say a film, you say one back, and we can't agree which one's better. I've got to come up with another film, and essentially it starts with a rally. And if who, whoever eventually comes up with a film that can't be seen is as good as the other one, or you know, you run out of time, can't think of one, then you lose the point. Yeah, I think the problem is is that there'll be films where you're going to die on that hill and there's going to be films where I'm going to die on that hill. So I don't know if there's a way that if we just go film to film, so you say a film and then I say a film, and if it takes you more than two seconds to hit back, then I've won the point. Um, All right, fair enough. Have a bit of a clock on it, like a game of tennis. And if, if just we not have even a, like necessarily clock it, if you take ten seconds to answer, then obviously the ball's out and I've won. Um, yeah, yeah. If you can't come up with something that's better, and if if we come up with one where you know we're going to die on a hill, right? Then we just we just carry on playing until there's no until there's no argument. So we might have some rallies. Okay, right. So I've got my best films. You're serving here. Yeah? I don't want to start. You know what I mean. I don't want to start too strongly. But then I don't want to start too slowly and then be scrambling for a good. The mm-hmm. uh, City of God. Silence of the Lambs. The Pianist. Fargo. The Prestige. Pulp Fiction. Toy Story 3. Malcolm X. Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, um, I'm going to have to give that to you, mate. That's 15, love. Woo. I think we should also make obligatory tennis noises after each. No, 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 no. Uh, so <laughs> I go Toy Story 3 and go, um. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd goes, ooh. ooh. Wait, is that the? Yeah, that is. That's the. That's the today at Wimbledon music. Yeah, I don't know whether to just go for an ace. You know, like just entirely up to you. Your your match strategy is up to you. Twelve years of slave. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna waste the film. (laughs) Trying to trying to return that serve. Thirty love. I'll do the like the 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 
just Andre Agassi huffily walking to the other side of the court, not even <laughs> bothering to play that. Yeah, <laughs> very Nick Kyrgios kind of vibes. Um, okay, got to be tactical about this. Do 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 do. Uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Aliens. Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. The Shining. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Capote. Full Metal Jacket. No Country for Old Men. Die Hard. The Heart Locker. All right, 40 love. I'm not going to waste any more on that. Out! <laughs> Some really good... You you thought you had it with the... Uh, if you if you take it to the 70s, I reckon it would have actually been closer because there's so yeah. many good films that have come out this century. Um, okay, so maybe I'll start with like a second serve this one and then and like kind of come back into it. So uh, Zero Dark Thirty. The Fly. The Revenant. The Truman Show. 1917. LA Confidential. Inception. Raging Bull. Oh, shit. No. No, I can't. I can't return <laughs> back in time. Uh, at least I got a racket on the ball that time, 40 yeah. 15. Uh, okay. I'm thinking now, I have to remember which ones I've said. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, Inglorious Bastards. Groundhog Day. Django Unchained. Goodfellas. Oh, me, no. I had to think of a film that was better than Goodfellas and I couldn't. 40-30. Do you want to, get, do you want to make it too comfortable, on your, uh, too comfortable for you on your serve? I can't remember what I've said, it, um, but The Dark Knight. <laughs> All right, well, that, that, I think that's an ace. Yeah, if it gets to 40-30, you <laughs> Yeah, that's to. right. You don't fuck about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. One, one game to love. Now it's... Now it's are we doing it. a full set? Let's see how we get on. I think we're, some know. of these rallies are going to be stinking. Some of them are going to be like you know. I think I think disaster movie and shit like that. <laughs> yeah, when we run out of good films, scary movie five versus Saw six. <laughs> yeah, let's let's see how we get on. I think we can possibly, if we were trying to make it like a shorter game, we can it's kind like of, best of have more of a steward's inquiry on some of the the, the returns of serve and all that sort of thing. Um, okay, Schindler's List. No. All right, 15 love. I'm pretty sure it's anti-Semitic for me to return there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, okay. Um, the Fisher King. Munich. The Big Lebowski. The Blind Side. Unforgiven. The Fighter. When We Were Kings. 
the help. Terminator 2. Terminator Salvation? (laughs) (laughs) Out. (laughs) To get Hawkeye on that one. (laughs) Okay, I think we'll call that 30 love. Um, All right. Um, Do the right thing. Get out. Okay, I'm not going to try and waste a return on that. 30-15. <sighs> okay. The Last Temptation of Christ. Hacksaw Ridge. Predator. Spotlight. Platoon. Brokeback Mountain. Amadeus. Gangs of New York. Oh, that's he's one with Gangs of New York. Oof. Mm, 30 all. I'm finding as much traction on my serve here. All right. Okay. American History X. The Wolf of Wall Street. The Terminator. Prisoners. The King of Comedy. Into Shabla. Robocop Shutter Island Das Boot Up The Princess Bride Wally This is Spinal Tap The Incredibles Back to the Future The Incredibles too. Akira Kurosawa's Ran the Departed. The Green Mile. Million Dollar Baby. The Shawshank Redemption. No, that's that's like everyone's favourite film ever. I'd have to fucking pull out one that I haven't already said, which I don't think I could have pulled out, could I? Did I have one? I don't think so. Okay, 40-30. You're making me work for this. Is this where you just like hit me with a fucking like ace? See what goes on. I need to be pretty oh, solid. Mate, 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 mate. Even if you hit me with an ace here, I've got you. The thing. Spirited away. Blue Velvet. Hotel Rwanda. When Harry Met Sally. Pan's Labyrinth. The Remains of the Day. Gran Torino. Boys in the Hood. The Shape of Water. Do the right thing. The Dark Knight Rises. Videodrome. Whiplash. The right stuff. Call me by your name. Good morning, Vietnam. Green Book. Top Gun. Logan. Ah, balls. Deuce. I hurt myself. <laughs> I think the trailer for Logan probably would would uh, would, yeah, would have won that. This yeah. game. Okay, Juice. I'm going to pull this out now. Okay, E.T. Joker. Once upon a time in America. Parasite. Apollo thirteen. 
Avengers Endgame. Beauty and the Beast. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Seven. Gone Girl. Fight Club. Nope. <laughs> we both devolved into Fincher. That's when, you know, in a, in a tennis match, we're like, they're both at the net just volleying each other. Yeah, they're just both, they're both yeah. somehow doing forehand returns. And <laughs> Okay, that's advantage to me. Right, I've got to come back strong now. Reservoir Dogs. The King's Speech. The Matrix. District 9. Toy Story. Frost Nixon. Toy Story 2. Letters from Evil Jima. Barton Fink. Good night and good luck. Naked. Ray. Candyman. Aaron Brockovich. South Park, bigger, longer, uncut. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's one of my favourite films of all time. (laughs) Juice again. Okay. Okay. I'm really running out of good films. The the quality is about to become stinking. (laughs) Okay, Train Spotting. The Artist. Elizabeth. Lincoln. The Usual Suspects. Captain Phillips. Magnolia. Gravity? Starship Troopers. Her. What's love got to do with it? The theory of everything. Being John Malkovich. La La Land. The Insider. Moonlight. Il Postino. Black Klansman. Cyrano de Bergerac. The Irishman. Blade Runner. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Last Temptation of Christ. Bohemian Rhapsody. Rain Man. Fences. After Hours. Life of Pi. Police Story. Midnight in Paris. Scarface. Winter's Bone. Magnolia. Now. I don't even remember if I've said Magnolia twice now. To be honest, I don't think it's I don't think it matters as much if it's twice in the same if it's twice in the same rally then maybe, but if you say it again yeah. because you're yeah, in yeah, I know it. I'm sure there's a way of doing this in a way that you, you only use them once, like if you made little cutouts or something. Yeah. Okay. Okay, me again. Blade. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part One. Clerks. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part two. <laughs> Leon. Warrior. Secrets and Lies. The Grand Budapest Hotel. In the Name of the Father. 
Rum. Run Lola Run. Coco. Big. Old boy. Poltergeist. Catch me if you can. When Harry Met Sally. Memento. Day of the Dead. Snatch. Body Heat. Batman Begins. Oh. All right, juice. Oh <laughs> okay, I've got to come up with something now. Princess Mononoke. Um, no, I just wasn't prepared for that one. I'm, I'm okay, really trying to find a film I have not seen. Okay. Lethal Weapon. Mulholland Drive. The Lost Boys. Children of Men. <sighs> okay, I think that's advantage to you now. No, it's back to juice. That was no, back to juice, okay. Okay, Near Dark. Zodiac. Jackie Brown. Brooklyn. Out of sight. Her. The player. Ratatouille. David Cronenberg's Crash. Finding Nemo. Unforgiven. Amelie. The Lion King. Inside Lewin Davis. Devil in a Blue Dress. No. Oh, was that advantage to me? I think so. It's going to be all those five-hour Murray Djokovic things, isn't it? Yeah, I think we should just do best of three. So if you win this one, it goes to a third. If I win this one, that's it. Okay. <laughs> all right, let's do that. Okay, so this is juice or advantage me? Advantage you. Okay. Dances with Wolves. Shame. The Fugitive. Let the right one in. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. No. Is that oh. a game age? Yep. But <laughs> I'm trying to like properly find films now. I don't want to be dipping into like proper shit ones. I know. I've, I've, the thing is, I've used up... <laughs> I don't want to use Jackie Brown so soon. You know what I mean? You sort of think, oh, what, 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 what heavy artillery have I got left? Okay. This is the decider. This is my show. Off you go. Okay. Right. Okay. United 93. 
strange days. Before sunset. Clockers. Beasts of no nation. <laughs> okay, 15, love. Tell you what, this would have been 3-0 if you'd picked the 70s. <laughs> I know. For, yeah, that's, for that, both that's shit just, and good. <laughs> yeah, that's just unfair, isn't it? Okay. Uh, uh, What's that? Is that 15 love to you now? Uh, yeah. Yeah, beast of no nation. I didn't. I had an answer for that, but as I was saying it, I thought, no, that's just that's just not good enough. Uh, Black Panther. The Rock. No. Ugh. Right, 15 love. Sorry, 15 all, sorry. Birdman. Cool Runnings. Iron Man. Edward. Borat. There's something about Mary. Casino Royale. Leon. The Passion of Christ. In the Name of the Father. Skyfall. Twelve Monkeys. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. No, I've come on something in time. 30-15. Okay. Uh, in Bruges. Akira. No. I'm just running 30, out. I'm trying 30, to keep the standard up as well, but... Yeah. This is England. Yeah. That's 40-30, I think. This is game point to you, or match point. Oh, dear. Ex Machina. Ghostbusters. Guardians of the Galaxy. Back to the Future Part 2. Phantom Thread. Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> Baby Driver. Running out, I'm running out. You went. Oh, Jesus, Pigley. To be fair, I had Hero Jet Li's Hero after it. So <laughs> you were you were waiting at the, at the at the net for a smash, weren't you? Yeah, it was three shots ahead. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for listening to that audience. We've we, we <laughs> that may well be something that gets better when we refine it. it we certainly enjoyed it. There was, it was some tension. Really nerve wracking. Holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, I think with uh, yeah, it's uh, the 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 tricky bit isn't it when you start running out because we had some long rallies and as I was saying them, I thought oh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna need that later. Why did I say it now? Yeah, it might be one that you need like a, a I don't know like a third opinion, and that person's just got to pick the best one out of the two per round, and yeah. then it's actually quicker, and then you know yeah, you yeah, you could almost do it as like a ball game or like a, a parlor game with like more people in the room. Yeah, or you could do it where you. Um, you get dealt, you, you put all your names down and you put them in a hat and you have to pull them out. Yeah. Okay. But no, that was fun. That was something different. Um, yeah, yeah. As opposed to us just talking about the state of cinema and 
yeah, yeah. The politics within it. That was uh, it. Was good fun. But no, that was really good. That, yeah, very good. No, what well, well played, mate. That, that was a, a bit of lively there. So that's um, that's us attempting to kind of break into Radio Four with a parlor game. We will probably work on that. Maybe maybe uh, another time we can we'll do it again. We can do it with shit films because I think that'll be fun as well. That's all for this month's episode of Double Reel. Thanks for listening and for making it all the way to the end. Thanks also to my co-host, James Adamson. The podcast was edited in Audacity and hosted on Anchor FM. We are grateful for their continued support. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. Forgotten is available to stream on Netflix worldwide. Information is very limited on Tony Scott's Potsdamer Platz, but the original novel by Buddy Giovinazzi is available to buy in most stores. Outside of Double Reel, keep an eye out for announcements for a new non-film related podcast we plan to release in future. So this is me, James Adamson, signing off and this is me james adamson signing off your next podcast episode will be our regular episode 17 next month keep an eye on the socials for any bonus or special episodes we decide to do in future if you enjoyed this podcast please like and subscribe and tell your friends until next time stay safe watch lots of films and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media i don't have a hans zimmer sign off i just wanted to praise king shark from suicide squad he might be the best film character ever hand nom nom Love you, King Shark. Fuck Richard Branson. That's my that's my sign off. Oh man, Eddie Murphy, Adam Sandler, Kevin James—they're like the Wilson racket makers to my shit film tennis. <laughs> <laughs>